Welcome to Bethany Bible Fellowship, where we are all about the glory of God and the good of His people. It is a privilege to be able to share this online resource with you, and we pray that it is a blessing to you, that it builds up your faith and encourages you on in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. A charlatan. It's a person who falsely claims to have a special knowledge or a special skill. In essence, a charlatan is a fraud. Is that what we're talking about here? Certainly, there have been plenty of people throughout history who have knowingly sought to defraud others by claiming to be something or be able to do something that they cannot do. But then, on the other hand, there are those who, who genuinely wish to be something that they, that they are not. They, they want to be the real deal. They, they want to be able to provide maybe a real service or, 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 or attain to some certain level. They just don't, they don't want to uh, go through what it takes to, to gain the right qualifications, to, to, to jump through the hoops, to take all the classes, to go through the challenging experiences that are needed. If there's a way to cut corners, to, to, to get all the benefit without going through the, the pain of, of getting there, well, then that's the course that they want to take. They want to achieve. They want to overcome. They want to qualify but on their own terms. What if you could have uh, just a, a killer physique without ever having go to go to the gym? What if you could play the guitar just like you're ringing a bell, just like Johnny B. Good, without ever having to practice? What if you could earn all the respect and, and trust and loyalty from others while being totally irresponsible, doing whatever you feel like, uh, stepping on other people's toes, use abuse, and drop off at the refuse anyone you want? What if you could go to the, uh, the, the good place when you die without giving Jesus the time of day or spending any time understanding what his word has to say? Ah, you see, you see where we're going here? <laughs> you can have the sincerest desire in your heart to, to reach whatever goal it is that you have, but... There are certain people who just don't want to take that path or do what needs to be done to get there. Now, there are some things in life that you can cut corners on. These days, you don't have to be a movie star. You don't have to be an incredible musician to be famous. You can just grab your cell phone and you can start recording yourself. You can upload it on online somewhere and hope to gain some sort of cult following. But there are other things that you can't fake that you can't take shortcuts on. You can't simply dress for the part and then fool people into thinking that you are something that you're not. And that's certainly true when it comes to who is in the kingdom of God and who is not. Jesus said, my sheep, they hear my voice. I, I know them. And they follow me. I give to them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. This is who Jesus' people are. This is what they do. They hear him, and they recognize him. They recognize his voice. And what's more, he knows 
them. You see, there's this relationship there that cannot be faked. In fact, if you think that you're fooling God into thinking that you're one of his own when you're really not, then you have a serious disconnect with reality. In, in essence, you don't believe that God is God. You actually think that you're more uh, of God than God is because you have this incredible ability to fool the one who actually is God. And I'm sad to say that there are quite a few people in that camp. You, you can't fake your way into the kingdom of God. And at the same time, you can't fake your way into being one of Christ's servants. Actually, let me clarify that. You can fake all kinds of people into thinking that you're the special servant of God. We see that all the time. You're put here on this earth to do his bidding. You're elevated to some sort of special ops status. You, you have that high-ranking position, and everyone goes, whoa, look at, look at him or look at her. You can fool people, but there's no way you're fooling the one who matters. And so look with me in our passage this morning, here in Acts chapter 19, and we're going to see together what it looks like to be a genuine servant of the king versus some sort of cheap imitation. And we begin in verse 8, Acts 19, verse 8, and it says this, and he, it's Paul, we've been talking about Paul for a long time, he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Now, here's a, here's a man who is not an imposter. He's definitely not in it for the money. He's certainly not in it for the benefits that he's getting to his health. No, he's doing the, the, the long, burdensome work here. Three months, he's with these people. He's with them week after week, laboring for them, that they might be persuaded, that they might come to an understanding of what is true. And he's also not doing this for some type of popularity or limelight grab, is he? Just as often, perhaps more often than not, people hear him. They hear this stuff that he's proclaiming about this, this Jesus. And if they don't erupt in some sort of fit of rage, well, at the very least, then they say, ah, this message isn't for me. And they walk away. Look at what happens in verse 9. But when some became stubborn... Remember, he was with them for three months. Some became stubborn and continued in unbelief. Speaking evil of the way. That's what Christians were known as, the way. Speaking evil of the way before the congregation. And he, that's Paul, withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Supposedly, possibly, this hall had a certain teacher who students thought was a bit tyrannical. So it was the hall of Tyrannus. <laughs> so after reasoning with these people for three months in the synagogue, there he is, and they say, I am, I'm, 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 we're done with you. And they start to oppose him. They turn on him. It looks like it came on kind of gradually, but after resisting the truth over and over and over again, this is so often the way it goes. You resist, you resist, you put up the roadblocks, you, you, you have your, come up with your reasons for not accepting, not embracing, and then you get a point where you're absolutely convinced and you're, you've dug in and you are now going to actually oppose. They become obstinate, they move from discussion to outright opposition. What does Paul do? 
Well, he simply takes those who will listen and he goes some other place and he keeps on going. Look at verse 10. This continued. That is, he's speaking to these guys in the hall of Tyrannus for two years. So that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. This is some serious devotion, right? But it's important that we ask ourselves, what is he devoted to? Is it education in general? Paul is just so passionate about learning, so passionate about passing wisdom on to future generations. He's just wholeheartedly devoting himself to that task. Is it education? Is it just that he has such a high view of of work that he isn't going to let anyone or anything get in his way? He's just determined in general, so he's not going to stop. He's he's got that work ethic. He's going to plod on. Is that what it is? Is it that he just craves attention? He's just this epic narcissist and has to be surrounded by this sea of longing eyeballs that are just laser-focused on him and these ears that are carefully tuned in to what he has to say. No, it's not any of those things. There is one thing and one thing alone that his ministry is centered on, and that is the word of God. Paul is without a doubt, utterly and completely word-focused. Everything revolves around teaching and learning and wrestling with and understanding and living in line with the word. And, And then you ask, well, is that the right thing to do? Is, is that what he should have been doing? Were there other things that he should have been doing? Maybe he's missing the mark here. You know, there are a lot of people out there with a lot of different ideas about what a Christian should do, what a church should be all about. There are a lot of people, quote unquote, Christians out there that tell you, you got to do a lot more. You got to do a lot more community service. You got to do a lot more when it comes to politics. You got to do a lot more when it comes to getting out there and protesting. You got to go campaign. You got to raise money. You got to start new programs. You got to build bigger buildings. And you know, I have no doubt that so much of that is actually good, and there's a place for that. But fundamentally, and at the most basic level, God's people need to be all about His Word. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. What does he live by? By every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is what they live by. This is what informs the way that they they see their world, how it really works. It, It leads them to their one and only hope. It provides them with all that they need to persevere and make it through to the end. Paul is all about God's word. Was that the right place to be? Was that the right focus to have? Well, he gets some incredible confirmation that what he is centered on, what is he is doing, is exactly what God wanted him to do. Look at verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits 
came out of them. Now, some have taken these verses to, to be a sort of prescription as to how God wants to work miracles in our day and age. But to do that, to, to, to focus on the miracles and make that a prescription, is to take what is peripheral to Paul's ministry and to pull it to center stage. Notice, Paul isn't attempting to do miracles here. He's not aspiring to do miracles. He doesn't hang a shingle outside of his door and say, miracle man, come get rid of what gets you down. (laughs) No, it just says God was doing extraordinary miracles. Paul wasn't asking for them that we know of. God's just doing them. The miracles aren't the substance of Paul's ministry. No, it's, it's the word that he's all about. The miracles are God's way of confirming in the minds of everyone that this guy truly is his guy and that the word he is teaching actually is the truth. So Paul is right on target. Did he face opposition? Yes. Was life easy? No. Were his needs being met? They sure were. On top of that, there are these otherwise completely unexplainable miracles that were happening. Now, of course, to those who don't know God and those who are seeking to bring themselves fame, fortune, or prosperity apart from acknowledging and submitting to God, the God who made them, the prospect of being able to do miracles, that's pretty attractive. That's pretty great. Why do you think there's so many people out there that are so fascinated with superheroes or superpowers these days? When I was a little kid, I wanted superpowers. Oh, yeah. And I took that little blanket, and I tied it around, and I got up on the top bunk, and I leaped off of that thing. Didn't work. There came a point where I started realizing all those superhero things, all those superpower things, I'm probably not going to get there, and I don't seem to have that natural ability Um, And I started seeking out more realistic skills. And so I tried sports, and I realized I am awful at sports. I have no coordination. No chance of getting one of those special letters on one of those cool jackets that make everyone on campus think that, oh, this guy's got it together. How am I going to have some special standout skills? And how many people today are looking, trying to figure out what makes them special, what makes them unique. How many are saying, look, I'm I'm super good at this, or, or I'm super funny, or I'm super knowledgeable, or I'm super in shape, or I'm super attractive. And those who who realize, well, I'm not any of those things, they they want to say, well, I am, I'm super different. And some say, you know, I'm super dark, and I'm super depressed. You're all laughing out there. I'm not impressed at all. I'm not normal, not average. In fact, I'm not even what you think I am. I have a secret or not-so-secret identity that's all my own. How many are looking for the thing that they could sell on on YouTube or or get them the recognition that they desire, make them feel stand out significant? See, the life that has lost sight of its maker is enslaved to an endless quest 
for value and significance and purpose. Step away from the one who designed you and formed you and and loves you beyond all comparison, who gives your life meaning that stems from his worth and his significance. Step away from God, and now you have to find a way to manufacture that significance on your own. And, And it's possible, isn't it? Oh, it's possible. It's possible to find yourself in the limelight, the praise of the masses, the object of affection, the momentary envy of others, but, but it doesn't last, does it? And it certainly isn't satisfying. What's more, there will come a day when whatever significance that you thought you had, that you thought that you convinced others that you had, it doesn't quite cut it where it counts. And that's because any significance that does not find its origin in the one who is truly significant will be exposed as nothing more than a smokescreen or a facade. Look at verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Okay, so here are some people who have made a name for themselves as people who had this incredible ability to cast out evil spirits out of those who were oppressed. In an age where medicine and drugs hadn't yet come to the level of prominence that they enjoy in our day today, the climate was ripe for people to swoop on in and claim to have supernatural abilities to heal. And people like this were known to grab up anything and everything to embellish their exotic skill set, from a little bit of chemistry to mathematics to spells, incantations, potions, religious rituals, you name it. They'd seize anything, and they would add it to their repertoire. And so there's really nothing exceptional here in Acts 19.13 when it comes to appropriating the name of Jesus and adding it to their routine. This is just what people did in that day. You're a magic man? Well, you're going to grab magic anywhere you can get it. And you know, there's no shortage of people these days who've taken the name of Jesus and they're using it to make a buck or, or to make them famous or to get whatever it is that they want out of life. We need to be leery, leery of people like that. Use the name Jesus well, I I need to see some fruit here, and I need to see what exactly you believe about this Jesus. We need to make sure that we know who these people are and that they're not just using the name of Jesus as some sort of means to a selfish end, like for these guys. Verse 14, seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so they fled out of that house naked and wounded. What a pretty picture. This is just, this is too much. This is just incredible. The kind of thing that you, you, you want to see, but you don't want to see, you know? <laughs> Here are men who had managed to convince everyone else that they were the real deal. 
But in the world where facades have no opacity, you can see right through them, these charlatans weren't fooling anyone. The Spirit says, I know Jesus. Of course they knew Jesus. Jesus was the one who had these demons, these spirits number. They knew it was just a matter of time before Jesus was going to banish them to the bottomless pit. They didn't want to go there. They were going to to suck every moment out of their existence before that time came. Yes, they had heard of Jesus. They had also heard of Paul. Now, why would they know about Paul? They know about Paul because Paul is all about Jesus. (laughs) He's the genuine article, a real true follower of Jesus who's out there. He's devoting himself to the word of God so that those who are still in darkness might be brought into this kingdom of the light. And by doing what Paul was doing, he's he's aiding in the extraction, the ripping away of these spirits' most prized possessions. With each new convert, reinforcing in their minds that Jesus Christ has won. Yes, of course they had heard of Paul, (laughs) but they didn't have a clue who these fakers were. That's because these guys weren't significant. They were no threat. They'd been convincing people in Ephesus that they were pretty special, but in the real world, they were nothing. They're posers, as we used to say back in the youth ministry days. It makes me wonder, would your name ring a bell to those on the other side? Those who see clearly the battle that's going on between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. What what about this church? This church we call Bethany here and all its ministries, would it be on their radar? Would they say, yeah, I, I know Jesus. I, I know those people of Bethany. Let me tell you something. If this place and the people who belong to it are all about Jesus Christ, and the proclamation, the comprehension, the application of his word, then you better believe that it's known. Be they ever so humble, the ones who have devoted themselves to Christ's work are most certainly known. And so do not be discouraged when it seems like all of the phonies are getting all the attention and all the accolades and all the royalty checks. Don't worry about it when you see them prospering, when you drive by their beachside mansions, when they scream by you in their overpriced wagons. The prophet Jeremiah He asked God, why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the treacherous thrive? Does it sound like he's speaking out of frustration? Sure does to me. It is frustrating. And yet he knows that all of that prosperity and all of that notoriety, it means nothing when it comes to what really matters. He goes on to say, God is far from their heart. What matters? That matters. And then he says, but you, O Lord, know me. You see me. 
and test my heart toward you. Does God know you? Of course he knows everything, but does he have your name written down on his membership list? Are you one of his people? Are you one of those sheep that he knows and calls by name? Maybe you've been doing this church thing for a long, long time. Maybe most of your life. But when it comes down to actually trusting his word and surrendering your life to him and entrusting yourself fully to him, you haven't quite crossed that line. Maybe you'd like all the benefits of going to heaven, but aren't ready to let go and turn from that old life. You say that you're a Christian, but when it comes down to it, you got a foot in each pond here. <laughs> let me tell you something. You can't be a member of the kingdom of God and still hold on to your ID card for the kingdom of darkness. Paul rhetorically asks in one of his letters, what fellowship has light with darkness? The answer, of course, is none. None. Either you're saved or you're unsaved. Either you're walking in the light or you're still following the prince of darkness. Which one is it? Are you the real deal? Are you a genuine believer, an authentic follower of Christ, or just a charlatan that's put on a costume, adopted the lingo, fooling others, maybe even fooling yourself? You need to know this. You can't fool God. What the spirits do to these exorcists was a wake-up call, a big wake-up call for the people of Ephesus. Check out what happens next in verse 17. It says, And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And so when the people have their eyes open to the reality of who Jesus is, there, there, there's this quaking that takes place inside. There's a healthy, holy fear that settles in and leaves them with this keen sense that all of this is real. This, this heaven and hell, this light and darkness thing, no joke. Verse 18. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing, divulging their practices. And a number of those who practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. I could explain that to you. It's a lot of money. They, they realized that they either needed to be in or they needed to be out. They needed to let go of this old life. They needed to be the genuine article or stay in the dark. And after seeing what happened to these exorcists, the choice was clear for them. They say, we, we know what we need to do. We need to turn our backs on all of this, all these magic books, all, this, all these other hopes, all these other dreams that we had of becoming something, of being successful, of gaining a name for ourselves. Whatever it was, this has to go. They had an investment in those magic arts, didn't they? They had all of their old life right there. And it was a big investment. You can imagine how hard it would have been to let go. But when it came down to it, they were brought to the point where they realized their, 
no matter how much money is in this old stuff, it pales in comparison to that all-surpassing worth of knowing and being known by Jesus. And so we got to ask ourselves, do we know him? And are we known by him? And what is it from our past that we're still holding on to, unwilling to let go of, because it's, it's giving us something? Maybe, maybe we just invested too much in it, and so it just, well, it's ludicrous to let go of that. Or maybe there's, there's something that, that, that seizes our hope that's linked to it, that, that says, I, I really need this to survive. Or, or, or maybe there's some, some, some pleasure that we get out of it that we're, we know is wrong, but we're just not willing to, to, to let it be pried from our fingers yet. What is it that we're still holding on to? Time has come to chuck it into the fire. Put it where it belongs before you end up there with it. Verse 20 draws our attention back to what this whole passage is about, back to what God's people need to be all about, and that is his word. You'll remember Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And the evidence of that is in Luke's concluding remark here in verse 20. He says, So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Are you being transformed by God's mighty word? Or are you hoping to get by with an impersonation of a genuine believer? I'll leave you with this. May we be people who are marked by our wholehearted devotion to God's word. May we fill our minds with it. May it fortify our faith, be the guiding light of our lives. Let's be people who don't merely want to look like Christians, but let's be Christian through and through, accepting no substitutes and renouncing everything that is not of him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your great mercy. For people, Lord, who are in the midst of being transformed. So many of us, Lord, have placed our trust in you. We've been brought into the kingdom of light. We are children of the king. We have your spirit dwelling inside of us, and yet there is still much work to be done, Lord. Some of us trip and fall. Some of us, we still gladly jump into the mud and wallow around in darkness on purpose. So we enjoy it. Father, call us out. Call us to yourself. Call us to your word, Lord. And may your spirit quicken our minds to receive it. And would you... Give us the ability to obey it, to live by it. Transform us with it, Lord. This is what we need, and this is what we need to be all about. Lord, we love you, and we thank you. 
And we recognize, Lord, that anything good that is in our lives and any transformation that has taken place or will take place to come, Lord, is all because of you. So we praise your mighty name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Bethany Bible Fellowship. For more resources, visit our website at bbfoc.org.